Welcome to the Round Rock Church of Christ Teaching Podcast. We're a faith community located in the central Austin area that gathers at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. We hope this teaching blesses you as we become spirit-filled and spirit-led Jesus followers for those who do not have a home. Uh, Good morning, church. Let me add my welcome to those of you who are joining us uh, on the tail end of your Thanksgiving uh, weekend. As we're uh, bringing kind of this holiday weekend to a close, I do need to break some news to you this morning. Uh, I do not have a typical post-Thanksgiving sermon that's happening uh, this morning, Um, but I do have good news. We're going to still be thankful. We're still going to give gratitude at the end of service. Uh, because today we're going to bless and commission uh, our new student minister um, this morning. So um, I know that's what we're all looking forward to, and I need to just get off the stage. So I'll move quickly <laughs> as we uh, as we do that. We're uh, in the middle of a series uh, called Doubt It. Uh, we're on the third week of this series, and this series has been going through some of the current and common wrestlings that someone can walk through as they are coming home to God. In this series, in week one, we talked about different mindsets that can possibly cause doubt or distance towards God's existence. In the second week, we talked about how do we move from head to heart when it comes to uh, reason reaching its limits on relationship with God. And in the last week of this series, I'm going to talk a little bit about how doubt can actually be a doorway in our formation with God. But this week, I want to talk about something called reconstruction. And why I want to talk about reconstruction is because right now, there is a sentiment going around for people who would say that they identify in their faith journey as they are going through a process called deconstruction. Now, if you're not familiar with this term, this term um, is one that's being used for a decent amount of people right now currently identifying where they are in their faith. Actually, stats show that 60% of young people who graduate from high school, who grow up in Christian homes, actually resonate with the term deconstruction. And if you're looking for just a simple definition, uh, a simple definition would be a dismantling of one's accepted or inherited beliefs. A dismantling of one's accepted or inherited beliefs. Or to put it in more common language, if I were sitting across the table from you, it is a phase of questioning, critiquing, and reevaluating what you have heard in regards to your faith. Now, where this language comes from is actually kind of some of the same language that uh, developmental psychologists actually use in just describing how you process your life. Uh, In order to deconstruct, you first need to construct, uh, which means that there is a time in your life where you are handed the building blocks of what you build your worldview around. And then at some point in your development, just as a human, you've accepted these things, walked around with these things, and then you go through a process of deconstructing where maybe you probe or you evaluate or you look closer at some of the things that have been handed to you. Maybe you even interrogate them a little bit and you question, is what I've been handed actually 
True. So uh, here's an example from uh, Zane from grade school. Okay, I uh, I went through a period of deconstruction on the playground when I was uh, seven years old. I remember I was standing in a circle full of my my bros, my guy friends, and uh, I remember I I said to them, uh, I said, guys, uh, I'm gonna go home, and I'm gonna turn on the TV, and I'm gonna kick back and watch TV. And uh, I use the term that most people call a recliner when I talked about that's where I'm going to go and watch TV. Although I had, for some reason, thought the word recliner was actually pronounced cuckliner. So I told my boys, like, I'm going to go chill in the cuckliner. And they go, whoa, whoa, whoa. What'd you just say? What is that? You have a recliner, right? And they're like, whoa, whoa, it's called recliner, not cuckliner. I went back to my parents and I said, how dare you? That you let me be embarrassed thinking that that was that term. They still today are like, we still call it a recliner. So I don't know where you picked that up from. But we go through different forms of this, that we think we understand something. And then we run into a moment in life where we're like, maybe I need to reconstruct this. And then reconstruction is basically coming through the questioning process and being at a point where you're like, okay, now I think I rest and understand on this thing. Similar language is used when describing the Christian faith. As a matter of fact, I would tell you throughout church history, there has been several iterations of this language throughout history of defining kind of these three categories and construction, deconstruction, reconstruction are some of the language that gets used today. In construction in our faith, we accept and inherit the people who we trust to help hand down the gospel to us. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's actually how this process is. We actually receive it. And when we receive the faith from people who come before us or trust us, sometimes there's also additives of opinions or attitudes or postures of the community that are also added to the faith that we receive. And then in deconstruction, which is somewhat inevitable when humans are handling and articulating God, we begin to rework those beliefs that maybe it feels like they contradict each other a little bit, or maybe the way it was framed to us was kind of harmful, or maybe it was just not simply fully thought through. And in healthy ways, deconstruction can actually be refinement. It can be differentiation in our lives. And then reconstruction is coming out the other end, returning to our faith through the valley of cynicism or questioning and coming out the other side and being like, I have a childlike faith once again. I trust the history that has been articulated to me. I've thought through these things. I'm not resentful, but I've actually humbly gleaned from the process of asking questions. Now, what's difficult for today's cultural time is that deconstruction in some ways has become this disguise for deconversion. It's in moments of question or doubt that culture actually crowds in on us. And maybe provides a little bit of self-shame 
when we have accepted certain ideas or maybe not thought through things fully. And instead of refining those ideas and holding on to the faith as a form of like remorse or repentance, we actually throw out the church or we throw out the trustworthiness of scripture or we maybe leave our faith as a whole. It's a form of protection from embarrassment or pain by no longer risking belief at all. And one of the things that I'm here to say this morning is that if you resonate with this journey of deconstruction or you're walking with someone who would identify with this journey, is that is not the only option to throw it all out. Just because you've learned something new or you have something challenging or there's a new question that you're not sure how you answer. Christians have been thoughtful about this for a long time and through a lot of ages. One of the ways that maybe we can be thoughtful of this is remembering the way that actually Scripture lifts up lives of faith to us. That can assure us that this is part of the process. One of those people that Scripture actually lifts up is actually in that text in Hebrews 11, that Abraham is this prototype. He's this example. He's this visual in the Bible of what it looks like to be faithful and obedient and also head in a direction that is pursuing God. So by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to set out for a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. He set out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he stayed for a time in the land that he had been promised, in a foreign land, living in tents, just as his sons did, who were the heirs of the same promise, for he looked forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder was God. The writer of Hebrews says that Abraham is this model of faithfulness and obedience, that Abraham actually leaves his homeland, his family, and his place of comfort to pursue God. And Hebrews says what makes him so legendary for all of us to look at is that he set out at the time not knowing where he was going at all. Abraham's faith story is actually a small faith story inside a bigger faith story. That's actually seen in the book of Genesis where it's recorded. And one of the things that you miss if you don't read all of Genesis together when you read about the life of Abraham is that Abraham's journey is marked through a theological shift that is described through geographical terms. So let me show you what I'm talking about. In the very beginning of the Bible, you have the story of humanity with Adam and Eve. They walk so close to God. They know God. And in a moment where humanity trusts themselves more than God, where the twisted goodness and protection of God is seen as ill will of God holding something back, humanity actually introduces sin into the world. Adam and Eve are unwilling to trust that God wants their deepest happiness. And when the writer of Genesis describes what happens to humanity, 
one of the descriptions is that they were drove out and they were placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden. And that's not the first story where the east side moves. A second time, you find in the story of Cain between two brothers, literally the story of Genesis continues that the view and knowing of God is continually going down a domino direction. That Cain, in jealousy of his brother, actually takes the place of God and takes the life of his brother further from God's intentions. And it's actually described in Genesis 4 that when Cain moves forward, he heads east. And then the story continues all the way in Genesis 11 where you find humanity is trying to play like God. They're like, let's build a tower that reaches the heavens to become like God, to act like God, to have God on our terms. And when that tower is unsuccessful, it says the people moved eastward. In other words, migrating in east in Genesis is a way of saying that the people moved further and further from God. That they knew God less. And by the time you get to the story of Abraham, you expect the same pattern in Genesis to happen over and over again. But God comes to Abraham and calls him to a life of faith that actually requires him to go. That actually requires him to grow. Actually, when God asked Abraham to move forward in his journey of faith, he doesn't, Genesis doesn't record him going east, it records him going west. In other words, heading west means growing, re-sanctifying, preparing yourself for who God is. In other words, God asked Abraham to be challenged to grow from the idols and wrong ideas about God. And sometimes in our journey of faith, as Christians throughout history have echoed to us, sometimes we're called to go west as well. That sometimes we're handed inaccurate pictures of God, or maybe we're asked to pursue a life of faith in a more full way. So the goal for us isn't to run towards deconstruction or run away from deconstruction, the goal for us is the same as Abraham, to pursue God and know God. And part of pursuing and knowing God is growing in our understanding of God, not our perceptions or desires of how we want to see God, but actually knowing God for who God is. So in other words, to go through your faith journey and to ask questions, to explore doubts, to reevaluate things that have been handed to you is a normal part of the process of our faith journey. To ask questions is not inherently bad or that the only answer is it's going to lead to faith abandonment altogether. Sometimes heading west can actually cultivate a deeper knowing of God. One of the ways this may be helpful for us to think about is think about the relationship between faith and beliefs. That sometimes we feel like we can't 
question or challenge beliefs because we think that faith may get tossed out altogether with it. But maybe one of the ways to think about this with faith and beliefs is to think of faith as it is the gift of trust, of submission, of loyalty to God. And beliefs, beliefs are our ideas of God based off of our faith and trust and submission that we have to God. In Ephesians 2, 8, Paul literally describes faith as a gift. It's something you receive within a moment in time. But beliefs, you find even in the New Testament, beliefs are to be shaped, to be sharpened. Paul even instructs in 1 Timothy, he's like, be diligent with these matters. Watch your life and watch your doctrine. In essence, watch what you believe and say about God and sharpen it. Beliefs are important because they articulate what we say and think about God. They build the house in which faith rests. So some theologians for an image, just people who think about God and articulate God, they'll sometimes describe your faith journey as kind of like building a house. Your beliefs house your faith. And by beliefs, the things that you say about God, the ways you think you live out life with God, those are the pieces that construct the house. And for many of us, we grab a lot of different supplies to build the house. We build the house through uh, what we receive at church, what we receive through mentors, what we receive through family, teachers, shows, reading, interpretations of scripture, caricatures of Christians, even sometimes surrounding culture. We build a house around our faith. And one of the healthy ways of strengthening and sharpening our faith is every once in a while evaluating what are we building the house with. And just like every good designer would tell you of a home, there's times when it's time to remodel. Not demolition, but remodel, sharpen what we think. Because none of us, none of us inherit a perfectly beautiful, articulate, nuanced version of God. We all grow in this way. We all, in other words, head west. So then the last question may be like, okay, so if I move into a place of unknowing or asking a question, how do I go through this process of refining my faith without losing it all? And I'm glad someone asked that question in the room because I would like to answer that question. Um, I want to give just five quick, brief kind of guardrails that Christians have talked about when it comes to reshaping and refining our faith. Here we go. Number one. Uh, questioning isn't rejecting. Uh, the first thing to point out is that in the scriptures, the scriptures are not unfamiliar with instructing the people of God to sharpen their vision of God and sharpen how to live out life with God. One of the places in scripture where this is very keen is uh, in the prophets. Like the pro They don't hold back punches. They, they take cliches and they call them out and they say, this isn't the way of God. Even Jesus himself takes people through a form of reconstruction. If you think about the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus literally steps up and he says to the people, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you, in essence, 
Jesus himself critiques human traditions or interpretations that corrupt the biblical truth of distorted views of externalism. That Jesus actually calls it out. He reframes. He asks people to think deeper about matters. And rethinking is something that is a helpful practice sometimes when actually walking through our faith. As a minister, I see, I see things happen in people's lives that rethinking is required. One example, when suffering enters deeply into someone's life, maybe they grew up with the idea of if you follow Jesus, good things are going to follow you. And when life comes crashing down around you, rethinking needs to happen. To remember that there's a Jesus who actually says, there will be trouble in these times. And my name will sustain you in those times. I know for some of us, we may have grown up in households. Um, I see this regularly where we say, you know, emotions have no play in our faith journey whatsoever. Uh, and then we encounter something really difficult in life or we hit a wall in our growth. And sometimes what we need to hear is that emotions are actually windows into the places where God is wanting to meet us or transform us. Emotions actually put us in motion towards God. They're not the ultimate authority, but they move us. Rethinking is sometimes a part of the faith journey. And when people ask questions, I'm going to say this one for Zane because this one's hard for me. When people ask questions, it's okay. Because it gives us a chance to re-solidify what we already believe or it sharpens and challenges us to go look for the answers together. It's a moment for ownership to be taken. Number two, uh, God is patient so we can be patient with each other. It's really interesting that in uh, a letter that we call uh, Jude, the letter literally ends with what is written. It says, be merciful to those who doubt. That's one of the final words that's offered in the letter of Jude. And one of the reasons we should be merciful and be patient to those who doubt is usually, not always, but usually, when someone is questioning intently or going after something, it's usually because there's wounds that's behind that. Maybe as you walk with people who are working through questions or aren't sure what they think about in faith, one of the ways to maybe cultivate some patience inside you is as they're talking to ask the question, what are they disappointed in? You know, usually when people bring me a theological question, it may start on ideas of God about how we articulate, but usually what I'm listening for is I'm listening for what the wound is or where the wire is crossed. And anyone who works on houses will tell you that you do not remodel a house just in one day. It usually takes a lot more time than that and usually takes more time than you even desire for it to be. Why not the same with our faith? You know, it's interesting that in the Gospels, you find that Jesus is pretty patient and he's pretty slow when it comes to faith crisis. I mean, you find the resurrected Jesus not showing up to Thomas until eight days later. Eight days. I would have packed my bags at that point and left. God's patient, so we can be patient too. Number three, uh, acknowledge Jesus, the church, and Christianity. Uh, sometimes we use these synonymously, 
And absolutely, they do have overlap. Uh, but we should also be very clear when we are working through questions or hesitations about who we're questioning, what we're questioning. Jesus is the Son of God in flesh, in person, historical, literal. The church is the gathered group of believers who are his hands and feet. And Christianity is the religion. It is the passed down traditions and beliefs in confession of Jesus Christ. And usually what we say is we're questioning or we're working through or we don't like all three of them when in reality what we're doing is we're arguing with one of them. You know, two notes that I would say to this just um, from a minister perspective. You know, one is that um, I know it's been really cool over the past decade uh, to basically say, like, I'm not about religion, like, I'm about relationship. Uh, and I get that. That sounds really cool on a YouTube video. Um, and there, there's some truth to that. If you define religion as strict rules, then I, I get what you're saying. Um, but at the same time, what I do want to remind us is maybe a more fuller definition of religion is it is the practices and traditions that actually help pass from one generation to a next generation the realities of the visible connecting with the invisible. So one thing I just want to say to that is I know we may want to always, you know, dump on religion or Christianity, but I do want to remind us that like, it is a religion. And on top of that, like it is what's passed down to us. And part of one of the reasons of why Christian history is so important, and you should rely on the confession of brothers and sisters before you, is that they already made some of these mistakes. They've already gone down routes. And they've said, this is what we believe to be the wisest to cultivate a life of following Jesus. And then for some of us, some of us who would say that we have problems or we're working through or we have questions, sometimes what we're really saying is we have issues or hurts or wounds with the church, not with Jesus. You know, the church is made up of people, and if someone is here today who you've been wounded by the church, I just want to say and add that I'm really sorry. That sometimes churches don't always act and embody Jesus because it's a place of sanctification. In some ways, we all kind of get a little bit messy when we're doing life with each other. And at the same time, we have to remember that the church is Jesus' idea. Even in the days where we're like, why? Like, why? Why these people? <laughs> why are these people apart? For your idea, Jesus says, you know, Peter, on this, I'm going to build my church. In Acts, when like Paul or Saul is persecuting the church, Jesus comes to him and he says, he doesn't say, you know, Saul, why are you persecuting the church? He says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? That in Jesus Christ, we are justified. And through God's Holy Spirit, through the church, sanctification happens for us. It's the people of God who help us become more and more like Jesus. I love one of the ways that 
a pastor by the name of Derwin Gray says, uh, if you can find a perfect church, you should not go to it because you will mess it up. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I found that to be true. I mess up any, any place I go. All right, here we go. Number four. Uh, there's a difference between refining and reacting. Um, it is quite common, and within 10 years of college ministry, I saw this playbook over and over and over again. Many times in our development, when we grow in our view or understanding of something, there's always a temptation to be resentful of the ones who helped bring us up instead of thankful for them, of the people who handed us what we're challenging and shaping. You know, whenever we start working or refining our beliefs, we may be tempted to react completely opposite of how we may be brought up. And I think when we have that reactivity in us, the first question we need to ask is, what is our goal in thinking or rethinking through our beliefs? Is it the pursuit of Abraham to know God more closely or is it just a desire to be on a certain political side of the aisle to get back at the people who raised us or to honestly just use our money and our bodies however we want to? Sometimes it's easier to change God than to change ourselves. And somehow in God's mercy, sometimes God will let us go down this path even though we've never needed to. But those who go west are going for the end goal of exploring and questioning because they want to know God more deeply and receive every promise that they have from God. That should be our motivation, not reactivity of our upbringing. And then finally, the last one, uh, never stop gazing at the beauty of Jesus. So I'll finish with this story. A uh, couple of weeks ago, I was uh, walking around Lowe's because I was remodeling uh, my office. And one of the things I had had was a picture that I wanted uh, the office to be like built around. And the whole time I'm walking around Lowe's, uh, two things were happening. First of all, everyone kept asking me like, sir, do you need help? Which was offensive to me because apparently I don't look like I belong at Lowe's. And they're right but I don't want to give the appearance of that. Um, but the second thing was uh, people kept asking me about this picture. And this picture was just this, it's this spiritual direction picture of the heart of God. It's kind of this like nuanced picture that if you stare at it long enough, it's supposed to help usher you towards the love of God deeper. And every time someone asked me about the picture, I always wanted to talk about the logistics I want to talk about what I was doing with the office. I want to talk about the rebuild. I want to talk about the size. I want to talk about the paint color. And every time, three different employees were like, no, 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 no. I'm not asking about what you're doing. I'm asking about the beauty of the picture. And three different times, I had to slow down and be like, oh, it's a picture that represents the love that God has for us through Jesus holding us. And all three of them, different conversations, all three of them go, wow. That is beautiful. So I walked out of Lowe's. I've thought about that as almost a parable for our lives. I think a lot of times we can get caught up in the logistics and the jargon and the wording. And I'm not saying that some of that matters. But if we lose our gaze on how beautiful 
Jesus is, then what are we doing all of this for? That He doesn't just want our glimpse. He wants us to gaze at His beauty. The gospel of Jesus Christ, His life, His teachings, the way He was able to see all sorts of people. People don't believe this thing because it was invented. People believe it because it happened. Historically, literally, that God took on flesh and showed what God was like. Have you ever thought about how if Jesus was made up, how he is depicted is the last way any of us would try to sell God? He's that beautiful. His love is beautiful and it's unfathomable. He loved those who were looking for him. He loved those who were against him. And he was also for those who didn't even know what to think about him. And we know that because he got on a cross and his arms were nailed to that cross. And in the words of the psalmist, that he has removed our transgressions, our sins, as far as the east is to the west. So when we look at the cross, we see the love of God for those who are heading east, for those who are heading west, and for all those who are in between as well. So God, we, uh, we thank you for your beauty and how you literally saw every person, spiritually poor, meek, those who mourn. Jesus, we ask you, can you take us back to your beauty? Lord, can you be patient with us in our moments where we doubt, where we have questions? Lord, may you help us to do what our brothers and sisters before us said, to keep the faith that you've gifted to us. Spirit, we pray, can you sharpen us, sanctify us, and help us to be people who reveal how beautiful you are. We pray for the lost, Lord. We pray for them to be on our hearts as much as they are on your heart as well. We pray this all in your name. Amen. Uh, church, this is uh, the moment where we're going to finish today by blessing and commissioning uh, Lauren. I want to go ahead and invite up a couple people. Uh, I want to invite up uh, Mark and Linda, uh, and then Lauren, if you want to come up as well. Um, if you haven't had a chance yet uh, to meet Lauren, uh, she is here today. And we're extremely excited about it. Um, Lauren's uh, 